0: I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton, and this is a special Active Aging Week presented by Humana podcast series of Growing Bolder. And we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Active Aging Week with daily reminders that the lifestyle choices we make can have a big impact not just on how long we live, but on how well we live. They don't just add years to our life, but more importantly, they add life to our years. The Active
1: Aging Week was started by the International Council on Active Aging back in 2003. So what is active aging? Well contrary to the belief of many, it's really not all about physical movement as important as that is. Active aging simply means engaging in life in our own way. It's about adapting to our changing environments no matter our age, our abilities, our opportunities, and even our challenges. Learning to adapt to these changes and challenges it's important because according to the U.S. Census Bureau, by 2035, for the first time in our history, there's going to be more people aged 65 and older in this country than 18 and under, and we can't lump all older adults into a single group because... We are all different.
0: Right, you are, Mark. And that's why we wanted to talk with an expert on the diverse health needs of older adults. And Dr. Robert Zorowitz is Regional Vice President of Health Services for Humana. He's board certified in internal medicine, geriatric medicine, and hospice palliative medicine. He's a fellow of the American Geriatric Society and the American College of Physicians. And he recently got a first-hand look at one of our favorite events, the National Senior Games in Pittsburgh. Dr. Zorowitz,
1: thanks for joining us as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Active Aging Week. Hi, let me start in Pittsburgh because I understand that you were actually at the National Senior Games. What did you take away from the experience about older adults and the benefit of regular physical activity?
2: I have to say I had no idea what this was or what I was getting myself into. I was a volunteer, I was not a (laughs) participant. Some 12,000 older adults participated in in the National Senior Games, with games ranging for everything from track and field, volleyball, badminton, tennis, pickleball, basketball, you name it, cycling. It was an incredible experience. I, I was not aware of it before, and I met just the widest variety of older adults, ranging in ages from 50 to 100 or so, who were still active and participating in sports. It was, it was really an incredible experience. Happy to tell you a couple of uh, folks I met, but we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Uh, and and let's do get to that after this next question, because I think hopefully it will lead into it a little bit. As you know, the U.S. Surgeon General has declared really an epidemic of loneliness, uh, a public health epidemic, if you will, you know, one that is widespread among older adults because, unfortunately, as we age, many of us tend to withdraw. But for me, one of the main attractions of the National Senior Games you know, is the community. It's the camaraderie. It's the social aspect of encouraging and supporting one another. Did you experience that? And, and I'm sure you heard about that from the people that you, that, that you mentioned.
2: Absolutely. And really from two different aspects. I mean, the senior games themselves were an opportunity to meet thousands of older adults from around the country who are active in a variety of sports. But just the fact that these individuals were active in their communities in these sports, whether pickleball, which has exploded as a very social sport, or tennis, or, or what have you. This is not only a way of keeping themselves physically active, but socially active as well, not just at the senior games, but at home as well. So who did you meet? Uh, who inspired you, and what, what did you learn? I met a variety of, of really interesting folks, but the two that stand out, a 79-year-old gentleman who is a tennis player, and I got to actually hit a few balls with him. Uh, despite his gout, he's a very active and accomplished tennis player. And I met a 90-year-old pole vaulter, and I thought it was incredible that at 90 years old, he's still pole vaulting, which to me means not only going up, but also going down. And he practices with the local high school kids and coaches them as well. This was just an amazing example of someone who's really engaged in trying to be the healthiest that he can be and as socially active as he can be.
1: There's a saying, I've read it many times, it says if you've seen one 85-year-old, you've seen one 85-year-old, obviously underscoring the wide difference uh, in in the way people age and, and what people are capable of doing. As you looked at that, did it change at all? your perception of what might be possible. I mean, how do people, how do geriatricians deal with with the difference? Because I think there's probably some overdosing of medication, some underdosing of rehabilitation. I mean, it's gotta be pretty tricky being you these days.
2: Being a geriatrician is like being a juggler. We're dealing with folks that have, you know, as you said, the older you get, the more heterogeneous, the more the wider variety of changes so as you said, 185-year-old is only 185-year-old. And I was very privileged to see you know, the healthiest of the healthy at the National Senior Games. But on the other end of the spectrum, there's a wide variety of multimorbidity, frailty. And as geriatricians, we have to be able to manage that and all the factors that contribute to frailty and all of the different geriatric syndromes, like falling incontinence, delirium, depression, etc. So it's lovely. It was great to see such a wide variety of really healthy folks active in sports. But also as a geriatrician, we have to be realistic and understand that not everybody is like that. And we have to be able to uh, help them live their healthiest, most functional lives as well.
1: So for folks who might not be familiar, doctor, what what is a geriatrician? And is it important for older adults to have one as their primary care provider? And second to that, if you will, why is there such a shortage of geriatricians in the U.S.?
2: Yeah, two very interesting questions. Well, a geriatrician, in its simplest sense, is a physician with additional training beyond internal medicine or family practice who takes care of folks that are 65 and older, roughly. But really, a geriatrician can be better described as one who takes care of older folks with multiple medical issues, which interact with each other and present in a very complex manner. We like to think of ourselves as managing the five M's, the five M's of aging, mind, mobility, medications, because you know a lot of older people take a lot of medications, multi-complexity, the interaction of having multiple conditions at once, but also what matters most. That's equally important. What does an older individual want out of life? What's important to them and how can we help them achieve that even when their best health may be behind them? So all of this kind of contributes into geriatrics. Why there are not enough of us? It's a difficult, complex question, but In essence, I think first of all, there is a gross misunderstanding of how exciting and interesting and rewarding geriatrics is. Um, There are many opportunities in the medical fields, many more glamorous sounding fields to go into other than geriatrics. And geriatrics does require an extra year or two of training beyond uh, the residency of internal medicine or family practice. And there are opportunities to go into practice immediately after those training years. So I I think between the misunderstanding of what it's all about, not really understanding that it's great. We are a happy lot, we geriatricians. It's a great field. But I think we are unfortunately a shrinking lot uh, because not enough people are going into it.
1: And is there a personal backstory to how you got into it? Because uh, you know you, you, you've been in it for a long time. A renowned geriatrician you are. Was it because of an older adult in your life? Or was it just because you saw opportunity where others didn't? Or what drew you to to this calling? It's
2: really interesting. And I, well, I'm, it's interesting to me. I'm not sure how <laughs> interesting it is to anybody else. I mean, I had a wonderful relationship with my grandparents. But really what got me into it was a serendipitous experience doing a geriatrics rotation in medical school at a large academic nursing home, where I realized that we were learning stuff that I wasn't being taught in medical school, that this was interesting, important stuff, not only managing frail, older nursing home patients, but also ambulatory community-dwelling older patients who had issues that were common, somewhat mundane, but not really as exciting as some of the diseases that we would learn about in medical school. And yet it's very complex and very intellectually challenging to manage these patients. And it sort of planted the seed. So after residency and after a couple of years out practicing medicine, I decided this is where i really want to spend my career and i went back and i did a fellowship in geriatric medicine so that's the short story
1: no it's a good story i don't think anybody would argue that we don't need more geriatricians but 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 man we need more like you i can tell from your bedside manner that you care and you're compassionate and it seems like older adults you know, we want to spend more time. Uh, well, we, we want to tell you what our issues are, and we want to listen. And it, it just seems like there's not enough people in healthcare these days that are willing to give us the time. As a geriatrician, is that important that uh, you know you have the right bedside manner, if you will?
2: Yeah, and the right bedside manner is not only how you speak, but it's how you listen. And older adults have a history. And they may have a very extensive history. And in order to really understand what matters most to them, you need to listen and ask the right questions and really get to the heart of the matter. And that is time-consuming. And many medical practices, if not most medical practices, are just not set up in a fee-for-service environment to be able to do that. I know there are many practices in more value-based systems where it is actually in their best interest and it's an advantage to be able to spend more time and be able to make appropriate decisions and work with the patient to help them manage their own care because downstream, fewer hospitalizations, fewer medications, more quality health uh, is a result.
1: You obviously have seen older adults uh, in every condition, and we get that there are no guarantees when it comes to our health. But in your experience, Dr. Zorowitz, is, is there a key or two to aging successfully? Have you, have you seen a common thread that is shared by those who are you know, living longer lives and enjoying it?
2: It's interesting. So just a, a little anecdote, when I was in practice in New York City, I noticed that the patients who seemed to be the healthiest were those that lived in third or fourth story walk-ups because they were having to go up and down stairs all the time. And I think that helped keep them healthy. So physical activity, absolutely critical. Uh, There are things like not smoking and staying out of the sun, which I think are important, but not smoking is really important. But diet and exercise, I think, are number one and number two. A high-quality diet, um, even if it's not the Mediterranean diet, which is great, I think a high-quality diet is still important. Physical activity and keeping yourself mentally active is as important as well. And then there's the usual things like light to moderate alcohol and, and uh, avoiding high-fat foods and, and that sort of thing as well. But diet, exercise, keeping the mind active.
1: How has what you do informed your own perception about growing older? Because, you know, at Growing Bolder, we're lucky. I mean, we, we talk to people, we interview people of all types, uh, of all abilities, uh, of all challenges, but but they're all leaning into life. They're having fun. You know, we're trying to use them as an example for what's possible. But you see people not just like that, but people who are struggling, the the frail and the fragile elderly as well. You know, what do you think about aging in your own life from the sum total of, of your experience with older people?
2: That's a great question because I sort of see it as two uh, parallel paths, and I only want one of those paths. So, on one hand, I see, like at the senior games, I see the possibility of having a, a rewarding, active, healthy older adult life. But I also see frailty on the other end of things, and that scares me to death. So I bicycle, I try to exercise, I try to eat well, I don't smoke, I try to do all the things. Of course, there's an element of luck, things happen. But I also, I see my, my primary care doctor, get the colorectal cancer screening, you know, make sure you get your vaccines. Um, so it's not diet exercise, but it's all the biomedical stuff as well, and hope that it all works out if I'm doing the right things.
1: There's been several studies, the age wave one that we've talked about, you know, one of them that kind of identify what the biggest fears are of adults as we age. And, you know, there, there's always three of them that are in the top five without exception. And that's the fear of running out of money before we run out of time. It's the fear of losing our independence uh, and ending up in assisted living or a nursing home when we don't want to. Uh, it's the fear of Alzheimer's disease. And you mentioned that and, uh, and it seems like that there there is one way to address all of that, and that's by lifestyle modification. Uh, you know, we always say at Growing Bolder, you know, because we're trying to bring something to the party and, you know, we can't do what you do. But if we can help change the lifestyle of adults in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s, maybe we can slow this wave of frail elderly that, that that's coming at folks like you. Um, so so what do you tell your patients, your younger patients, if you will, about the impact of lifestyle on their biggest fears?
2: Well, I think lifestyle modification is more and more being recognized as one of the keys, not only to growing older, more healthy, but but also being healthy when you're younger. It's difficult difficult in that it takes time to counsel people and give them instructions and help them find out how they can do that. And it's not like taking a pill and you get an immediate response. This is something over a long period of time. Getting back to that 90-year-old Paul Walter, what I didn't tell you was that when he retired, he was kind of a lump on a couch. He gained weight, he became pre-diabetic, he became depressed, and he decided he had to do something about it. And that's when he went back and started becoming active, took on a healthy diet and started working with the kids in the high school and then eventually comes to the senior games at age 90. Um, But this was a 20 year uh, or so uh, effort on his part to get there. So we're talking about something that is a lot more time consuming and a lot more complex than just saying, you have hypertension, I'm giving you a pill. And that is what I think it's, equally if not more important, but it's a challenge. But I think it is increasingly being recognized by the medical establishment that this is something that has to be integrated into medical practice.
1: I just don't talk to enough guys like you because whenever I do, I am encouraged to know that there are people out there like you that are making a difference in the way that you have. You know, there's a lot of online forums where people say, what's the what's the biggest thing about aging that you didn't expect? You know, what's what are the biggest changes that we don't know that are coming? What are some of the most common physical changes that occur as we age that we might be able to proactively manage? Changes that maybe we we aren't aware are going to happen to us?
2: Well, I, I mean, I, uh, some of it is a matter of luck because some people develop arthritis. Other people don't. So I, I, I think as you get older, there are changes in your bodily functions. So your kidneys, they don't shut down, but they do slow down. Runners find that you know, if they are running very, very fast, as they get older, their fastest speed may come down a little bit, even though elite runners in their age group are still doing very well so you do slow down. Your mental processes change. They don't necessarily deteriorate. Uh, It becomes a little bit more difficult to gain new information, not impossible, but a little bit more, takes a little bit more effort. But on the other hand, with experience, you know, we, we talk about the wisdom of older folks, but that's because with accumulation of experience, older folks have a lot to to contribute uh, in terms of decision-making and advice and working with younger people. So I think when you get older, you do slow down a bit. You do get aches and pains a little bit. You do adapt to a different uh, set of mental talents and processes, but you can adjust and adapt, and you can still be extremely high-functioning and accomplished.
1: Some of the people that I've met at the National Senior Games that I, I just was in awe of were a couple of older women in particular that that were really in the advanced stages of dementia. And, and I will give you that it takes an amazing caregiver who is willing to kind of take that journey with them. And these people were having so much fun enjoying what they were were doing. I I think there's a moral to that somewhere about the fact that even those in the most advanced stages of dementia still have the ability to experience joy, still have the ability to experience love. What is happening in that space from your estimation in terms of destigmatizing a Alzheimer's or related dementia diagnosis?
2: Well, there's a lot going on. You may have read in the news that there are several medications which have now been approved to treat early Alzheimer's disease. Uh, They are not perfect. They may slow down the disease a bit. They have significant side effects, but it has opened the door to a whole new range of potential treatments. And I think that over the next few years, we're going to see a lot of advancement. There's also, and we shouldn't discount the knowledge that there are ways of taking care of patients with dementia, managing their other medical issues, providing the right kind of environment for them, and providing activities which might stimulate them, not necessarily slow down the disease, but at least give them some social interaction if they're capable and also, again, you know, one Alzheimer's patient is just one Alzheimer's patient. Knowing the individual and what matters most to them and what matters now to them, which may be different, um, and being able to cater to that, I think, is really important. Uh, these women were obviously quite remarkable and unusual, but, you know, each uh, patient with uh, Alzheimer's dementia is in their, own, in, in their own individual way,
1: unusual and unique, There's so much happening from a technology standpoint, if you will. You know, it, we've cracked the genetic code. Uh, AI is now, you know, diagnosing scans and doing all kinds of stuff. You mentioned your excitement for being a geriatrician from way back when, and, and obviously that's because you've got a heart for it. You've got compassion for older people, but it's got to be exciting to see what is happening. You mentioned the new Alzheimer's drugs. I mean, we're literally at a time when almost anything, uh, there could be a breakthrough in almost anything that would help improve the quality of our lives as we age.
2: Yeah, I I think that it's overwhelming. Some of it's going to work, some of it's not going to work, and I think it's going to take some time to sort out the wheat from the chaff. However, I do think that technology has really caused the acceleration of possibilities of managing behavioral health, mental health problems, medical problems. You talked about imaging, reading x-rays, and we have no idea yet where this uh, generative artificial intelligence is going to lead us. There's pitfalls, there's privacy concerns. However, I think there's an enormous potential for good in using this technology in healthcare. But right now, I think we're just at, in its infancy. And, uh, you know, talk to me again in a year or two or three or five. And um, I, I suspect that the picture is going to look a whole lot different.
1: I think what we all need is, is a healthcare advocate, a geriatrician, a doctor like Dr. Zorowitz to kind of shepherd us through all of this that is happening. Uh, Doc, before we let you go, as a geriatrician, uh, you know, what message of encouragement or advice would you like to share with listeners uh, who are on a journey toward healthy aging that, that want to make the rest of their life the best of their life?
2: I think it's important to have a primary care provider. They're not all geriatricians, but I think it's important to have someone who will advocate for your health, who will help you determine what medications you really need to help you achieve your life goals. How can we treat these conditions? But more importantly, how can you really engage in the activities that make you happy, that keep you engaged, that you find rewarding? And that allow you to be part of a social fabric, which I think is probably what most people yearn for.
1: He is one of the good guys, folks. Dr. Robert Zorowitz, Regional Vice President Health Services for the Northeast Region of Humana. Doc, thanks so much for your time. And I'm going to take you up on your invitation to interview you again in a year and two and three and and see how this journey toward active aging uh, continues.
0: My pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, there it is, some great and practical advice about aging from a man who is a true thought leader. And isn't it encouraging to hear that more and more doctors are also incorporating the healthy lifestyle message, Mark, into their medical practice?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Dr. Zorowitz. I had never heard of the 5Ms framework, which, uh, <laughs> you know, I've Googled a bit, and it turns out it is pretty much the focus now in geriatric care in general. And I especially like the fifth M, matters most, which means what does an older individual want out of life? Because again, we're all different. We all have our own personal health outcome goals and certainly our own health care preferences.
0: And folks, you've been listening to a special Active Aging Week presented by Humana podcast series of Growing Bolder. A reminder that the lifestyle choices we make on a daily basis don't just add years to our life, but more important than that, they add life to our years. So join us all week as we celebrate active aging and share the International Council on Active Aging's seven dimensions of wellness with videos, articles, more podcasts like this, and a complimentary downloadable workbook that's full of great resources to help you get started towards a happier and healthier future. For more information, ActiveAgingWeek.com and HumanaNeighborhoodCenter.com.